together again. Mean it with all your heart. Here's my cup, oh, I lift it up, Lord. Actually, it's quite hard to explain to anyone once you partake of the bread of life and the water of life. It satisfies a thirst that you've always been longing for. And it's like you'll never search for anything else outside of that. But you actually never get enough of that itself. It's like no matter how much you get, you always want more, right? And yet it satisfies something that Nothing in the world could ever do and ever be able to take the place of. I'm grateful to God that he's helped us to be able to come to that great fountain of his mercy. Revelation 22, if you would, today, verse 12. I greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. What an honor it is for us to be gathered together in his presence. Amen. I love reading these, these scriptures of, uh, of Revelation 22, the setting of our future home and where by God's grace we believe that we're going to be great partakers of in that day. It certainly makes us uh, have a longing in our heart to be able to get there. And contrasting it with the world that we live in, it is certainly so different. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. So it shows that your work is separate from the righteousness and salvation that God gives to you to save you. There's nothing we can do to be saved. But God will reward us according as our work is. Amen? Amen. So you can't just be saved and then sit on your hands, as we would say, the rest of your Christian walk with God. You can't do that. Actually, your reward will be determined by what God has given you to do and how faithfully you administer that. Now, don't worry about trying to be like this person and that person and someone else. God will not never hold you responsible for someone else's work. All you're responsible for is what he puts in your hands. That's all you can do. And he says, I am Alpha 
and omega, which is, of course, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the, and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Now it switches in the Lord Jesus in the first per person speaking in verse 12, in verse 13, and John picks it up in verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Let's just bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, as we come today to approach you through the channel of prayer, how grateful we are that we as Gentiles, which at one time were without the covenant mercy of the Almighty God, we have the opportunity today, by your bidding, to come into your presence. We do not come as slaves. We do not come today, Lord, as second-class citizens of those who will not have the same rights. But we believe, Father, through the mediatorial work that you have given for, to us by the sonship of the Lord Jesus that you have redeemed us and you have took both Israel and the Gentiles and made together one new man in the new mystical body called the body of Christ. We're so thankful today that we're there. We know we don't get there by church membership, by even certain things that we do or things that we don't do. But we believe we're baptized into that body. According to 1 Corinthians 12, for by one spirit we're baptized into that one body. If there's anyone here today, Father, who's not there, maybe they just think they're there by association or by attending a certain church or something like that, help them to see, Lord, they must be there in order to be included in the first resurrection. Speak to us today from your word, would you, Father? We've not come here to be gathered under the auspices of some man or some church or some dogma or creed, but we've come Father God, because we believe your presence is promised to be here with us. So we're expecting you to speak to us. That within itself will be a miracle. For you to be able to take any mortal man and be able to move him aside long enough to speak words out of his mouth is truly miraculous. But we know, Father, if there's anything of eternal value that will come out of this service today, it will have to come from you. So I submit myself to you, and I trust they do likewise, that we can be blessed together. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> I believe that we are living in the conditions of the last day. I'm sure that most of you who are Bible readers certainly believe this, this as well. The prophecies that have been given by the sages and the men of God that have lived um, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, being inspired by the presence of God to tell us of the end times and the prophecies of things that would come to pass before the second coming of the Lord Jesus, also before the millennium, uh, and of course before the eighth day the finale of what we've read here in Revelation 22. So many turns of events have happened, even in our generation. For those of us that's my age and younger, of the things that we have seen in our lifetime, they're phenomenal to look prophetically at the things that God has done and the things that God has said. I've got quite an extensive study I'd like to uh, 
bring to you sometime and that avenue on prophetic things that have come to pass. Um, it's just absolutely overwhelming when you look at the things that God has said by inspiration and the things that have come to pass. And we, we believe that with all of our hearts that we're living in that time frame. But we know that God will allow certain things to happen in the events of the world and the events of the church and the events politically speaking and of the world setting itself, how that it involves the nations of the world and uh, concerning peace, concerning war, uh, concerning the things of the end time. But we also believe that there will be an influence that will be reflected from both the dimension which is beneath us and the dimension which is above us that both heaven and hell will actually begin to reflect their powers and their preeminence on the lives of those subjects who are subject to them. We can see little glimpses of such when we look into the scripture. And most profoundly, it was identified in the closing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New when we go into the silence of the several years there after Malachi until the, the last voice of the prophet of the Old Testament to the first voice of the New Testament being John the Baptist. And then we see the ushering in of the coming of the Lord Jesus and great spiritual things that was happening. And we see even with demon spirits and how the, those voices uh, begin to cry out out of the bodies of the people that they inhabited. The people themselves should have known at that time that something was fixing to happen and something was fixing to transpire. Even if they was not really up to date spiritually to be able to catch the emphasis of Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 35, 3, Zechariah 6, 12, um, so on of those prophecies to know that it was a messianic time frame. They should have seen supernaturally that as people begin to cry out in a way that had not even been visibly seen in the Old Testament. And that was that the demons, whenever the Lord Jesus would adjure them or even just by his bodily presence, and they would cry out, We know thee, thou Son of God. We know thee whom thou art, and we know what you've come to do. That should have told them the time frame that they were living, that something was fixing to happen. Now, I hope it makes sense to you today that, you know, that Satan himself has enough acknowledging about the Word, and he's able to break into it enough to be able to see and know that he has but a short time. Does he watch the events of time? No doubt he does. Does he watch the condition of the church? No doubt he does that as well. Probably several different factors that he takes into consideration as he watches and I don't believe so much that God said okay you know do this okay you've got so many years okay you've got so many years and so many months but he, he's able to be able to see that and we know that he, he saw this between the dispensational change of the Old Testament and the New because Satan began to, to send out different ones Thaddeus and, and the different ones that raised up under the administration of so called prophets that wound up being false prophets and they they actually led people off to follow themselves in this realm or that realm and it was amazing when you look at it because it was like Satan had an element of insight that something was fixing to break in a true prophetic realm I think it's quite sad myself that the devils are more keen to that many times than the church is 
So Satan would cause Thaddeus to raise up and, and, and bring so many hundreds of people that would go out and then uh, he, he would fall and there would be others that would raise up and say they were some great Messiah or this or that or the other. We know, of course, during the time of the Maccabees that when the Maccabees began to uh, come against the Roman Empire and it seemed as if so that there was a raising of a Messiah and we know that even one prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, that he was thought to be a Messiah, one of the rulers of those of you who know anything about Masada, you know that he had a cousin which was considered to be a Messiah, which was right in the same time frame of the Lord Jesus. So it shows us that Satan was watching the time clock of God. And he was watching prophetically and seeing that there were certain things that it looked like it was time for them to come to pass. So what he wants to do is always forerun those spiritual things with a false something. Now he knows people well enough to know that if they get a bad taste in their mouths, as we say, or if they get a hold of a bad grape, or if they get a counterfeit bill, it will make them more aware to watch when the real one comes. So naturally, if they see a false prophet, then when a true one rises first, they would tend to say, well, I've done heard that, been there and done that before, so I trash all prophets. Well, you're not very smart by doing that. It means it's Satan's trap for you actually worked and was a success. Sad to say, most human beings would fall into that category instead of just going past the scarecrow and looking for the real, they just put all of it under the same auspices as being a scarecrow and they identified as false. So here we find then that whenever the Lord Jesus come to the earth, that there were several that foreran John and there were several that foreran the Lord Jesus and it was done so to upset the minds of the people. And on our generation, there's been many false prophets that have went out. There have been many that claim they was Messiah, they was this, that, and the other. And we can expect that. The Lord Jesus tells us that in Matthew 24. But it does not change the truth that God always has truth on the earth to identify his people together. Now, don't get worried and all Torah. Lord of mercy, Brother Donnie, surely you're not saying you're a prophet. Nope, I sure ain't. I'm just some little old knucklehead that God saved by his grace and just helped me to see part of the end time. I don't see no great ones here among us. All I see is just folks on the same level. We're all lost without God. We needed to be saved. We needed to be born again. But what we want to do is to be able to look at where we are in the season of the time as the scripture that I read to you Wednesday night that who in his times would declare unto us the only potentate who is the king of kings and lord of lords. So he's the one that we look to today, not any man on the earth. But we know that Satan has always broke into this time frame of God. Presumably, you know that there's an insight that God allows him to have and that it foreruns it and upsets the minds of the people and confuses them. And for the average person, they just consider it not worth digging into. Uh, so they just trash it all and they go on, you know, just as best as they think they can. But I believe that it behooves us as the people of God as we see the end time around us. And if Satan truly is being allowed to take the peace from the earth, as the Bible tells us in the opening of the second seal, when the red horse rider was given a power and 
And the Bible says a power was given unto him that he would be able to take peace from the earth. So we know that that was during the time of the church ages whenever there was release and administration and a, and a beast in the Bible has a representation of a power, of course. And they would see whether it would be a dragon or it would be a horse or it would be a he-goat, you know, that Daniel saw those. So when you would see an animal in a prophetic sequence, then it was a power. So there was a power that was released on the earth that Satan was able to bring on the earth and it caused the people to be at war with one another. During this time frame, it was a religious war. It was a national war. It was the dividing of the East and West kingdoms. It was also a dividing of the Roman Empire. Uh, of course, splitting the, the capital from Constantinople uh, from the eastern part of the Roman Empire to the western part. So it was a war that covered every aspect of her life. Political life, religious life, social life, all of that. But the achievement was to be able to take peace from the earth and it would make people argue and debate and fuss and fight. Now we know that the administration of those seven seals when it was released from seal one, two, three, four, five on down is those beast powers under those first four horse riders was released that they all ride right unto the end time. So that white horse rider that was released first was the power of the Antichrist under the deceiving power that he had a bow but no arrows and he was to go forth and where did he ride to he didn't ride up to the second church age and then stop but he rode right unto the very end time where we are so the second beast no doubt will do the same thing the third of course being the black horse rider and the fourth one which was death and hell followed him and he was riding on a pale horse which was the white horse the red horse the black horse all merged together in the designation of the colors of the power and it will ride right up to the very end. Of course it will come and it will stand against the bride before the rapture time but then it will never stop her but it will continue to ride right up into the tribulation and lead the people to the battle of Armageddon. You understand? So we see then that the first horse rider, that power is still in the influence on the earth. Second horse rider, what's he doing? That anointing is still here to take peace from the earth. Well, if Satan is doing that, then truly God must have a counteracting power that is riding against everything that Satan is doing. So if Satan has an antichrist anointing on the earth, then there must be a true Christ anointing on the earth. Now don't get all scared because I say Christ because you know the word the Greek word Christ is Christos which means anointed one. And Jesus said they will come in the last days and there will be false Christ plural and false prophets. Well we know that Satan is a master of impersonation so what he does he copies what God does. So if Satan is copying what God does and he has false prophets then God must have some true ones. If Satan has false Christ then Christ must have some true ones. If Satan has false preachers and liars and so on and false churches, then that must mean God's got some true ones somewhere. 
or Satan would never be impersonating that. So if Satan is here trying to take peace from the earth, then I believe the power of God, the heavenly atmosphere that God desires to charge his people with is wanting to infuse in people in the age that we live, the most troublesome age that's ever been on the earth with the very reverse of what Satan wants to do. So Satan wants to bring war. He would like nothing better for every married a couple here in this church today to be constantly fussing and arguing and debating and every one of us wind up in divorce court somewhere. He would like nothing no better than for every brother and sister, every child to be against their parents as the Bible tells us prophetically that they will be, that parents will turn against children, children against parents. Well, then there's going to be an anointing that's going to be released on the earth in the last day that's going to turn parents against their children. And there will be an anointing which will be released which will turn children against their parents. So you mean God's going to let that happen and there will not be a counteracting anointing from heaven which will work against that? I do not believe that. I believe that there's an anointing here to stand against families. There's also an anointing here to unite and strengthen families and make them what God wants them to be, right? I believe we know that and we experience it and we see it, that there's anointings on the earth that try to talk men out of being faithful to the wives. There's anointing on the earth that tries to get women to break their marriage vows and not be faithful to the heaven. Now come on, I'm going to preach this morning. There's anointings on the earth that will try to get children to rebel against any correction whatsoever from their parents. And you know, if, if their parents try to correct them, then the children have more rights in this day and time than actually the parents do. So they just call the cops on them and make up some kind of tale or some kind of lie. Well, my mama hit me or my daddy did this or that or the other. Nine times out of ten, they're going to believe the child before they will the parent. And then the social services takes the child. So what does it do? Then it makes the parents parents afraid to correct their children and we know the head behind all of this is the devil because he knows rebellious uncorrected children are the next generation of what's going to take over our government uncorrected children's going to start running our churches in a few years uncorrected children will be the deacons of the churches uncorrected children will be the ones who's making all the laws don't you understand some of them right now in the congress and the senate they're the ones making all these crazy laws that we have in the day we're living in because many of them were the hippies of the 70s and the 80s well go ahead and preach brother donnie that's right. So Satan knows that. So I mean, why are we, why is our nation, a nation that supposedly was built upon the principles of in God, God we trust and our founding fathers doing what they did. Thomas Jefferson, John Quincy Adams, and many of our fathers that based it upon scriptural principles, many of our fathers that come here and landed on Plymouth Rock. For what? The righteousness of liberty to be able to worship God according to the dictates of our heart. Now that is ridiculed, made fun of and laughed at. And the liberal side, you know, they want to go, no, look, you know I'm not a politician. I ain't never voted in my life. I'm not interested in politics. I'm interested in truth. And yet our nation itself is going farther downhill every day that we live. How much longer will it be that we will even be have the right to be gathered together like this uh, without being persecuted and so on? Well, I say if they do persecute us, there will be a people that will stand faithful right to the end. 
So if hell is invading our homes, if it is invading our families, invading our churches, invading our government, invading our schools, and then we wonder why. You know, kids carry guns to schools and they kill kill other students and they do this and that and the other. And then we blame God. Why blame God? We voted him out of our schools. We told God years ago, God, you're not welcome in our school. We're not going to stand up. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. One nation under God. Oh, that offends me to say that. You want to move to Saudi Arabia then? You want to move to Iran or Iraq somewhere? Hey, like it or not, this is the way our nation was founded. Well, praise the Lord, saints. But yet as we go on in time, you mark my word as a little hillbilly that don't know anything. Every month that goes by, every election that goes by, it's going to get closer and closer to where that it will take over. It will be the dominating ruling voice. And they don't necessarily have to pass laws to do it. They will do it by social intimidation. They will do it by intimidation on television and books and so on and so on. It will force many, many people into silence because they don't want to be embarrassed and humiliated. That's exactly right. But now what do we see? So we see as it was in the changing of the dispensation as time began to run out. In the book of Genesis chapter 6, we know that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they saw that they were fair and they took unto them women or wives as the Hebrew says, the women, and they were not actually even married, they were just living together. And we see that God began to set us certain things and traits of that age. And one of the things that God mentions by the author there in the book of Genesis was that violence filled the earth and violence was in the heart of man and the thoughts of man's heart was continually on evil so we see the degeneration of the man before the flood ever came it was a forerunning of the opening of the gates of hell as it were and these demons begin to flow out I can't say I understand exactly how all that works but we're able to look back in time and see that it's as if though Satan is allowed certain dispensations by which there will be an advancement or an enlarging of this as it comes upon the earth. And truly it looked like it was there in the Andaluvian destructions. The violence was everywhere. And it was such a trait that God said, you know, that he looked at it and he said, it repenteth me that I've even made man. And then it moved the very heart of a loving God to do something that was catastrophic to the earth. And that was move the earth in this cycle in order to bring it back to the full stage of redemption and that was that God must allow the earth to almost enter into a stage of the total destruction and we know that God not only was hell being opened up but also heaven come down now let me run this contrast for you that you'll be able to see you look at it and that depends on which way your eyes are tuned today we can look at all the sadness of the times and it's truly sad we can look at the you know the degradation of sin around our country our churches our home and we can focus on all that alone or we can also look around and say wait a minute if hell is coming up heaven must be coming down we see the parallel it's always run that way and it will depend upon what we're going to focus on sure we have to deal with the darkness we have to deal with the sin we have to deal with all that that's around us but to me I choose not to think just about all of that my Bible still tells me whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of a good report whatsoever things are faithful whatsoever things are true think on these things 
the majority of my diet, the majority of the cultivation of my mind. I do not want to think about all of this other nonsense. Oh, sure, as a pastor, I have to deal with it all the time. From around the world, I have to deal with it. And I wish I didn't, but I do. But I have got to, myself, I have got to have a spot in my own walk with God that I personally cultivate my mind, my thinking, everything that I am, that I spend that time, oh my, come on, you're going to preach with me, that I spend that personal time along with the Lord to where that I have to cultivate my own mind, my own wall, you understand? Now many of you want to help other people and you feel like you've got a burden to help this one, that one, the other, and that's well and good, as long as you don't let your own garden grow up and become full of weeds. We can become so centered around other people. Well, I, I've got to go here and I've got to go there. And I've got to help this person. If you look at your own garden, you'll find out it's overgrown as well. So, you know, God helps us to be able to balance out these things by the grace of God. So we see when hell began to uh, usher in like a time frame, it was as if though the cup of the iniquity that God told Abraham would be filled up, it was like that it had arrived upon the earth in Genesis 6 and something was fixing to transpire. Even though you wouldn't have known exactly what it was, the permeating power of darkness was coming upon the earth in such a way anybody in the right mind should have known we are facing a cataclysmic destruction something is fixing to happen now remember prior to this you know there was a sea line upon the earth and they knew about God the introduction of the one God and the one faith was around the earth as far as the known civilization at that time but Satan hated that truth and he is allowed in order to bring these things upon the people of the earth and pull them away from that reality of God. I'll tell you, brother, sister, if it was that way in Genesis 6, I wonder how much more is it today and the very end time. Now, we believe there have been end times prior to this. And by that, I mean it was an end time of a dispensation. And we see, of course, the first dispensation, the Garden of Eden, was a dispensation of innocence. In that man and woman were naked in the Garden of Eden, but they did not know they were naked because their conscience was veiled into that state. So they were in the dispensation of innocence. They were totally innocent. They knew nothing about sin, right, wrong, light, darkness, none of that. Even though those fallen angels had already fell from the presence of God and sin had already originated there in the heavenlies we know and they'd been cast out of heaven but they were in the state of innocence so once Eve removes that veil of innocence by partaking of the fruit then the dispensation changes and it moves from there into the dispensation of conscience in the dispensation of conscience then man is placed before him right and wrong and man evaluates it he looks at this and he said okay so which do I want to do if I do this, these are the rewards. If I do this, these are the rewards. And we see the end result of that dispensation ended, of course, with man, for the most part, choosing the wrong thing. Then we know it comes into the Abrahamic covenant when God changes it and God said to man, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. And God said, that's not going to work with man because man's nature is so rotten and so fallen and so vile. So I will change and I will deal with the Abrahamic covenant and he tells Abraham I have already done this 
I have chosen you as for me, my covenant is with thee. Even with an unconditional covenant which was given to Abraham, Abraham as great a man as he was, he was an unregenerate man, and he still made his mistakes, his wrongdoings, his shortcomings. God, of course, confirms what is called the identified as the Davidic covenant with David, a man after God's own heart, yet David killed a man, and of course we know what he did with Bathsheba, his wife, and all of these covenants, God, there's no way that God could ever, through the Old Testament law, by the substitutionary work of an animal, ever redeem man's conscience and man's nature. And then in order to do that, of course, the great plan that God wanted to do was for he himself to come down upon the earth and be able to take upon himself the imagery of the very sign of weakness itself, which was what? Not angelic form. It was not theophanic form, but it was human flesh form. Now, I'm going to preach this way. This ain't in my notes, but I'm just going with it. So God had to come down himself. But remember, according to St. John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. First Timothy 1, 17, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be praise and dominion forever and ever. So we know then that God is invisible. Ephesians 2, 9, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So we know that God wanted to bring this down to the man, but how in the world is he ever going to do it? And he knew himself the only way that it could be done was for him to become tangible and take the very form of the greatest depth of weakness that man dealt with which was what human flesh so the son of God as we know it and we know of course that he was born Jesus he was later called Christos Christ so and then he became Lord Jesus Christ God has made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ Lord Jesus Christ so he comes on the the earth to become who? Our high priest, our sacrifice, our mediator. As Paul said in Timothy, for there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, not the Logos, not the Spirit, but the man, Christ Jesus. What's he wanting to do? Well, if hell is pushing up, and the regions of the lost is pushing up, and the influence on Rome, and the influence upon the Jews, and the influence upon the Bithynians, and the Carpathians, and the different ones at that time, it was a terrible time on the earth. If hell is pushing up, heaven must respond. And heaven is not going to remain silent. Oh, praise God. Heaven is not going to remain silent when hell begins to empty out, when hell vomits itself, as we would say, and these demon powers streaming in every direction. What does heaven respond to? Heaven don't send you a get well card. Heaven don't say, well, I wish you all the best. Y'all have a good time. Work it out as best you can. But what does heaven do? Heaven corresponds with that which will meet the challenge of the day. The Bible tells us, oh my, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. Amen. As we believe that the Lord God has done this in prior generations, as dispensations have changed, as it came from one to the other to the other, and we see hell. What happened there in the Garden of Eden? It was the very captain of hell himself, the very one who was in the pit, Satan. He come right up. He permeated the influence of the mind of the woman, but heaven did not remain silent. Heaven did not say, well, I'll have nothing to do with you from this time on, but what happened? Oh my, the king of heaven himself comes right 
right down in the Garden of Eden. He goes over and slays a lamb and he takes that lamb skin and drapes it out and puts it upon the man and woman and says, come out. Oh my, what a sad day it was when Adam and Eve, I can see them as they walk out the garden that day and Eve lays her little head over on Adam's shoulder and he takes his big arm and pulls her up close to him and she begins to cry and he begins to cry and their tears merge together as they run down his chest and as they do the tears go down and they merge under that bloody sheepskin as it's hitting his legs he's walking out the garden of Eden and the father God looks at that and he says oh it is a love that is so powerful it is so moving it is so overwhelming and the logos the pillar of fire steps down in front of the man and he stops him and says I will bring you back oh hallelujah I will not let you stay out of there I will put enmity between thy seed amen I will raise up a man's seed hallelujah the first messianic prophecy of the written scripture was given by the almighty God himself making what that he would bring forth a promise why hell come up heaven come down Amen. In the days when the children of Israel were so bound up in the land of Egypt and they were beaten and they were treated lower than animals. All hell had released such an uprising against the seed of Abraham. And Satan no doubt thinking I'll destroy them all. I'll annihilate them all down in the land of Egypt. Hell come up. But oh my God said I have come down. I have heard the cries of my people. And I have come down to deliver them and he sent a prophet hallelujah hell come up heaven come down and you're caught in the middle of it good luck I'll tell you one thing we're not here today surviving by luck We're not here today surviving by our intelligence or our ability. We're surviving by the grace of God. I don't want to meet the challenge of this hour, nor can you meet the challenge of this hour. On our own ability, our intellect, even our perception of God, there must be a supernatural divine intervention in our lives that will anoint us with heavenly attributes, heavenly nature, heavenly perspective, heavenly desire, heavenly ambition, something that takes us away even from our own carnal natural birth that changes everything about us and makes us like the Lord Jesus himself. Whoa. Now to my notes. Hebrews chapter 12, brother Daniel. So if hell is pressing its way up, and taking the peace from the families, from the church, from the nation, from the world, then truly heaven must be pressing down with what? The opposite of taking peace, bringing it back. Now for those of you who want to walk on water and speak storms out of existence and all that, this service probably won't be much help to you today. But if you want to live a good, godly, Holy Ghost, Christ-centered life, being peaceful, forgiving, long-suffering, with gentleness and kindness. You're at the right place at the right time. 
want you to notice this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. I notice y'all didn't say amen to that. Y'all remember giving your mom and dad reverence when they whooped you? To be honest with you, the reverence is one of the farthest things from my mind, and I got a whooping. It was more the pain I was concentrating on. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? The Father of spirits and live. Now remember, the Bible also calls him the Father of lights. Notice in verse 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now that was the verse I would have said amen to. It seemed like to me, my daddy was enjoying what he was doing to me. I realize he wasn't, you know, as you become a parent, it totally changes your perspective on raising children. And those of you young people here today who aren't parents yet, just wait till you become one. And just keep in mind, all the seeds you showed as a mean boy, you sowed a garden. <laughs> oh my, I don't want to do that. I'll kill the whole service and I want it. For they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Now notice Paul is wanting to set this mindset to the believers of that day because apparently there's some struggling amongst them and they're trying to understand trials, tests, things are going through. And he said, don't you remember whenever your fathers chastened you? And this was the whole process of child training that they psychologically, socially, physically, and every way could be trained. And we know that the way it would happen was that if you was born in a rich Jewish family that the man would hire a tutor. And that tutor would be the one to be able to take your education and your training every aspect of you your values your morality and all of that this tutor you know that Alexander the Great much of what that young man become was molded into him by his great tutor himself not so much his father because his father was out and gone all through Macedonia everywhere conquering the world but much of what Alexander the Great became was through his tutor because he infused this into him and it was a tutor which so united with his own divine call and purpose that it actually nurtured him to becoming what he was. What if God, if man does that, I believe God does the same thing. So God gives us tutors, not only just natural teachers, of course, but he gives us the greatest tutor that he could, which is the Holy Ghost, the indwelling presence of the living God, because God doesn't give us a book of our life. Okay, this is November the 17th, we'll say, and then November the 18th, you'll get up at 8 o'clock, and you'll do this and do this, but now don't do that. Now watch this, there's a trap for you. November the 19th, watch this. God could have given you a book of your life and wrote it all out for you, but he don't want it to be that way. He wants it to be a personal walk between you and him every day that you live. So if Satan lays a snare for you that the Holy Spirit can speak to you and say, bypass this, don't go that way, don't do this. Come on, saints. That's exactly what he, oh, I know we testify, well, I've done wrong and God forgive me. That's all wonderful and good. I believe God wants us to be to a place where we don't have to do these things. We bypass them under the direction of the same Holy Ghost. Well, as many of you didn't say amen to that, but it's a truth anyway. Now notice this in verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. We all should be able to say amen to that. 
at the meaning of this word chasing, it means instruction which aims at increasing virtue. Instruction which aims at increasing virtue. It is also the whole training of children, cultivation of their mind, of their morals. Also, it involves reproof and punishment. Hello? Testing. Boy, that's a to see and sure don't want to hear none of that, do we? Now, no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Amen and amen. Both naturally and spiritually. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So whenever we are tried and tested or whenever we are reproved and rebuked, Or whenever we are chastened and actually corrected and we feel the correcting hand of God on our lives. While we are going through that, peace is probably one of the farthest things from our mind. But yet the outworking of that, even in those times when we are being corrected. I love this because only God could do this. Whenever we are totally, completely wrong and God allows us to go through a time of chastening, of correction, that even though we messed up and we made a mistake, if we will allow God, God will let the fruit of that time frame in time be a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Oh, pray. God, thank you, Lord. Now notice, now no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, afterward. Not when you're going through it. Now, no, okay, God gives you this great big up here now. Okay, now you've done this and that and the other. And I hate to tell you, but I'm about to worry you out. You know, I'm really going to worry you out. I'm really going to give you a big spanking. But let me show you what I'm going to do for you. After the spanking, I'm going to give you this and this and this and this. Oh, man, that'd make that spanking so much easier to bear, wouldn't it? We say, Lord, go ahead and lay it on me. Man, you're going to give me this and you're going to give me that. Oh, but he don't always do that, you see. But we have to take his word that the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which will follow the chastening of the Lord, it will produce something in our life that we were so surprised. So we went by the carcass of this lion one day and this lion raised up against us uh, a few days prior to this. This big lion raised up against us and by the grace of God we were able to kill that lion and then we go back to where Samson did in the Bible and Samson went back to her a few days after that and what did Samson find? He found where bees had went inside the carcass of this lion and they had built a honeycomb and he reaches down inside of there and pulls out out of this enemy praise God pulls out of this thing that would have destroyed him sweetness out of the carcass of the lion Oh man, the prophet said you let some sin or you let some something dealing in your life and let God help you overcome that. Praise God. And then what can come out of that sweetness of the victory of the Holy Ghost? That's right. Now, notice Paul says that no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, what does it do? It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So it produces peace, calmness, submission in the soul. Praise God. You did okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. I just got beat to death. 
I just come through the greatest trial of my life, and I mean the Lord warned me, slap out. I messed up, and then I repented, and, and then after that, then the Lord just wore me out. But I've, I've never had such peace in my life. Praise God, I am doing wonderful. And people think, poor guy, he must be on something. He, he forgot to take his meds today. You know, he's just not really at himself. You know, friend, whenever we say, is this what heaven consists of? This is what I read to you in our opening scriptures. In heaven, there is no war. It's all calmness. I think of living in a place when we all get there that nobody will ever have an ill feeling toward anyone else. No one will ever get red in the face out of anger. No one will ever, their blood pressure will get up real high because they're fixing to have a tantrum or a fit. Nobody will ever even raise their voice to their neighbor. Now can you imagine, you know how neighbors can be. Can you in your mind understand that every neighbor in heaven will be pleasant? There will be no neighborhoods where no, no colors are restricted because there's no racist in heaven. So if there ain't none in heaven, then how can people on the earth claim they got the Holy Ghost and be racist? Missing something. So there'll be no neighborhoods in heaven. Say, hey man, don't go over there. That's, that's a bad neighborhood in heaven. Oh man, crime over there. There won't be no crime. There won't be no crime. So if hell is pushing up to annihilate our peace, it's not heaven trying to send down an anointing to let before we leave this world, let a little bit of heaven be visible in the saints of God before we leave here. So what's it doing? Both heaven and hell are meeting where? On the earth. And you're called in the middle of it. Oh, we can go around like this all the time. What's that old devil? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to go in the basement. I'm going to lock all the doors. I'm going to keep everything. That's, that's the power of your Holy Ghost. If my Holy Ghost can't keep me in the middle of hell, he's a weak Holy Ghost. Oh, my. I love this. I found this this morning as I studied in Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance until the next time you mess up how long say it again now do you believe that the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. What is this? A little bit of heaven down into my soul. The token of the Holy Ghost put my name on the roll. I'm identified by predestinated seed. I'm called and ordained. I'm the bride. Don't you see it in me? A little bit of heaven. Revealing Christ to your soul in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your tests, but he won't let you go. It's a little bit of heaven that's conquering hell. If you'll let Jesus and his power, he'll be in you, and it's greater than hell. Or you can sit around, oh God, oh God, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Satan is this, and you'll be so miserable, and your wife will be miserable, and your young'uns will be miserable. Some of y'all are so miserable, your cats are miserable in your house. And your dogs are miserable, because you've just got such a misery in your whole life. Even your own spirit is so miserable, and you say, God, what's the matter with
with me. You need peace. Oh, my. Look at this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, we close with this last night, but let's read it again today. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him askew Evil, which means avoid, go out of the way, turn aside to shun one, and do good. Let him seek peace. The word seek means seek for, desire, to seek in order to find out. Be thinking, meditating, reasoning, to inquire into. Now remember, we closed out last night in the book of Hebrews where Paul said that we're supposed to follow peace. And the word follow there meant go on a hunting trip. So it's like a query that you are searching for and he he eludes you here and he eludes you there, but you're right on his trail. And you're not going to give him up, oh my, because you know this is my rights. This is my inheritance as a son or daughter of God. If I've got to go down through the valley, up a hill, across the creek, across the river, whatever I've got to do, I'm going to have peace in this life because God wants me to. Notice this, let him eschew evil. Let him do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Look at the word ensue. Here's the word follow now. Follow after, run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. If we run after peace the way we run after money, we'd be some of the happiest people on the earth. If we run after peace the way we run after pleasure, Preach, Brother Donnie. Amen, Brother Donnie. To run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing, to run after, to press on, figuratively, of one who runs, oh my, who is in a race, run swiftly to reach the goal, to pursue. This reminds me of Jacob being at the ford of Jabbok. And God comes down and scares him. Scare me too out dark sometimes. You're praying out there and you hear a racket in the bushes. I think I'd grab it too. Once he realizes it's an angel of the Lord. And he tells him, he said, let me go. He said, I ain't letting you go. I ain't letting you go till you bless me. I'm sick and tired of being a deceiver. My name means deceiver, supplanter. I'm a liar. I'm a hypocrite. I've done this and that and the other. I am not about to let you go, peace. Oh, my. Notice to pursue in a hostile manner. Can you imagine the angel of God telling Jacob, look, it's coming daylight. Jacob wrestled with that man all night long. 
I mean, he wrestled and he wrestled. He must have been sweating more than I am this morning. You imagine his clothes was wet. His hair was wet. He was soaking wet wrestling. He'd knock the angel down and then the angel would get on top of him and punch him around. And Jacob would get a hold of him and flatten him back down again. I'm not going to let you go. You imagine God condescending to a wrestling match. You imagine God condescending to a place that he would let a man hold. Oh, hallelujah. Feel like that he's going to defeat him. Glory to God. That God would say, pursue me, Jacob. Pursue me. But we pursue God. 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 I need peace. He just kept on going. Well. That's the way he is. I'll go to the devil. People do. They try God, and if God don't work the way they think that he ought to, what do they do? They go back to the devil. They go to the world, and they drink, and they do whatever. I ain't serving God. I tried that. But you tried it your way. So I can see her that morning. She hears that there's a great man in town. She heard by word of mouth that he had great power. That he could speak. And tremendous things happened. But she was a Gentile, so she wasn't sure if it would be for her or not. But she saw her little girl. And she kept dealing with these demons. And they'd throw her into a spasm and she'd nearly swallow her tongue and she might chew on her hands and gnaw on herself and maybe foam at the mouth. She was a Syrophoenician woman. She, she come to where Jesus was that day and there was a great crowd following him. There's all kinds of noise, people screaming and hollering and everything. And she come to the disciples and the disciples recognized her, of course, being a Gentile. I said, woman, we ain't got nothing for you. So they tried to run her off. But all she could think about was that baby of hers. That little girl fighting them demons and gnawing on her tongue. So she come up to finally made her way to Jesus. Gets up to Jesus and he says, woman, it's not customary for me to give the children's bread to dogs. In other words, woman, you are a dog. Now, of course, I can imagine all you happy valiants now. If I would have said that word and you'd say, he looked right at me when he said that. My, would be so offended. Oh, oh. He said, I'm not even sent to your race. But he knew who he was talking to. <laughs> you see, real face grabs a hold to the promise of God. It pursues it. 
I don't know how to explain it to you other than there's a divine connection between them and the divine. And even though things get in their way and sometimes the divine seemingly gets in their way, but they're not going to let go. Can you imagine having so much faith in the promise? She didn't even have a scripture. She didn't have a bunch of quotes. She didn't have page after page after page after page of scripture and quotes and Bible programs and all kinds of daily devotional things. She had nothing to base the basis of her faith on other than a pulsation of the hour. My daughter needs it. I believe somehow God will be merciful to me. We've got scriptures. We've got quotes. We've got Bible devotions. We've got Bible tapes. Come on, saints. We've got all kinds of helps and we barely hang on you imagine her standing back and look at him she had that little baby in her hands it was a Mexican little baby now I'm blending the stories together and the usher said this woman stop her Prophet's son comes up to him and said, Daddy, I've got 200 ushers trying to keep that woman off the platform. She climbs on their back. She goes under their legs. Hallelujah. Why? She needed something. She had a dead baby. The ushers wasn't going to run her off. The prophet sent Jack Moore down there to pray for her. Slotted by the prophet himself. But she had a need. Friends, it's evident we don't consider our needs that important. You've got a besetting sin today. If you looked at it as it was a life-threatening thing, a soul-threatening thing, you wouldn't leave this church today till you was delivered. You could drive down a stake and say, by God's grace, this thing will never defeat me again. But instead, we sit there and nod our heads. That's right, that's right. I know I need to. I know I need to. I know I need to. Some of you's going to eat them words in hell fire if you ain't careful. I know I need to. I know I need to. I know what difference does it make if you know you need to and you don't do nothing about it. What if the woman said, I know I need to go up there, but I'm a Syrophoenician woman and... Uh, it's against my reason. It's against my faith. Jesus looked at her and said, Get out! You woman are a dog. You hear me? You are a dog. And in one of the passages of Scripture, Jesus uses one of the Greek words for big dogs. But the woman uses another Greek word in response that they use for little dogs. I'm a poodle. I'm not even a big Labrador. I'm not a big retriever. I'm nobody. I'm nothing, but I've still got a need. My daughter needs help. You imagine the prophet of God said, she had such faith, Jesus himself couldn't shake her. 
Jesus tried to run her off? Some of y'all know that old devil. That old devil. He just aggravates me. That old devil. You mean that's as far as you've come? You think the devil's something? Wait till you meet God himself standing in your way. Some of y'all been there and done that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But it seemed like God himself. You would pray with all sincerity and God wouldn't answer your prayer. You would give God everything and seem like God would shut the door of heaven right slap in your face. But let me just let you in on something. That's only family stuff. He can only do that to kids. If you'd like to after church, you could ask this little lady sitting right here or this other daughter of mine. I don't see her here today. I'm sure she's here somewhere. There she is. I see her. Ask either one of them if Brother Donnie ever raised his voice to them when they were little. Ask them if Brother Donnie ever spanked them. You can even ask the grandkids if you like because I've had to swat them a few times as well. Brother Donnie, you better not touch mine. Don't worry, I won't. Because they're not mine. Glory to God. Glory. Well, I tell you one thing, Jesus better never try me. Don't worry, he won't. But if you're one of his, he may stand in your way. You may pray and he don't answer. You may ask, you may beg, you may cry. He delays, but he said, I know who you are. I know who you are. You believe me. You believe me beyond reason. You believe me beyond understanding. That peace in your soul is a family connection to the divine. Look at the rest of the meaning of this word, ensue. Figuratively of one who in a race runs swiftly to reach the goal, to pursue in a hostile manner. Have some of y'all ever understood the scripture in the New Testament where it says the law and the prophets run to John? Then from that time the kingdom of heaven is preached and the violent take it by force. The church militant. They wrestle it out of the devil's hands. To run after, follow after someone. Metaphorically, to pursue, to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. What a rough way to get peace. 
I mean, we're not talking about robbing a bank for a million dollars. We're not talking, we're not talking about overwhelming faith with has, you know, big faith muscles and hair on the chest. We're talking about little old humble sister peace. Why would God make it to that place? And only the heavenly will be able to partake of heaven in the middle of Satan's end. Eve proved she couldn't live right in the middle of paradise. God will prove to Satan you can in the middle of hell. Everywhere we look today, we don't see the tree of life and the river of the water of life and everything nice and pleasant. Everywhere you look is filth. You can't even check out at Walmart without being defiled by pictures on the magazines there. Or some woman half-dressed. You go into the world, you go, you go into Lowe's just to buy a bag of nails and you're defiled by rock and roll music being played over their speakers. Years ago, you'd never heard that. You've never heard that sort of thing. What is it? Getting the world ready for the battle of Armageddon. So, Brother Darn, do you think that we're going to take the whole thing over by peace? Absolutely not. If I can just take over this guy right here by peace, this is my goal. And then if I can help share that peace with you and you and you and those who stream these services, I will feel like my life has fulfilled its purpose. I'm not interested in trying to preach you all a, a better way of living and confess and you can get you a new BMW and a new Mercedes and this and that and the other. No, I'd rather get you something that'll carry you to the other side. Because when the change takes place, all your cars will be left here. No Mercedes ever go down the streets of gold. Let me read this with you. Carol was reading the church age book the other day and I was sitting studying and she was sitting there reading. We do that sometimes. I was sitting one in the room there. She'll sit and read and she said, let me just share this with you. It's such a blessing. <clears throat> God says the church of the Laodicean age is wretched. That word comes from two Greek words which means endure and trial. Has nothing to do with the trials that come to a Christian. For God describes a Christian in trial as blessed. And his attitude one of joy Whereas this description, this phrase is wretched and miserable. How strange. In this age of plenty, in this age of progress, in this age of abundance, how come there be trials? Well, now it is strange, but in this age of plenty and opportunity, when everyone has so much and there is so much more to be had, with all the inventions to do our work and so many things to give us pleasure, suddenly we find mental illness taking such a toll as to alarm the nation. When everybody ought to be happy, when really nothing to be unhappy about, millions are taking sedatives at night, pep pills in the morning, rushing to doctors, entering institutions, and trying to drown out unknown fears by alcohol. Yes, this age boasts of its tremendous stores of worldly goods. Listen, but the people are less happy than ever. Why? It's not things that satisfy. Things can make life a little easier. But life is not about things. It's not about using people and loving things. It's, it's about using things and loving people. 
This age boasts of its spiritual attainments, but the people are less sure of themselves than ever. This age boasts of better moral values and is more corrupt than any age since the flood. It talks about its knowledge and science, but it is fighting a losing battle in all fields. For the human mind and soul and spirit cannot comprehend or keep abreast with all the changes that have come upon the earth. In one generation we have gone all the way from the horse and buggy age to the space age. And we are proud and boastful about it, but inside is a dark void cavern that is crying out in torment. And without a known reason, men's hearts are failing for fear and the world is so darkened that this age could well be called the age of neurotics. It boasts, but it cannot back up. It cries peace. And there is no peace. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, as we Bow with gratitude and thanksgiving today. Thank you for your word, for your presence. Lord Jesus, you know exactly how to fit a sermon for all the different needs of the people present. Lord, I pray that you would take this today and may it go deep into our hearts. If there's any here today, Father, in the visible audience or those that will stream or archive this service in the invisible audience and they don't know peace. Maybe they've got more things than they've ever had. Yet, Lord, there's something inside of them, an emptiness, a longing, a hunger. May you help them, Lord Jesus. For the saints of God that have met you in peace and they've accepted your way of salvation, but yet, Lord, they're dealing with situations in their lives and they're not at peace about it. Lord, I believe you desire whenever we're going through the greatest trials we've ever been through for us to have a peace and somehow a consolation to know you'll help us. And even though the outcome may not go in the direction that we're hoping, that somehow you will make it work for your good. Lord, help us as your children. Forgive us, Father, I pray, for looking at peace in such a nonchalant way of just, well, whatever. I mean, it'll come if God wants me to have it. Help us, Lord, I pray each of us to be able to approach it in a more aggressive manner. Not aggressive humanly so much, but in an aggressive manner of that Syrophoenician woman that saw the need of her daughter being so great. She was willing to be humiliated, ostracized, Life that made fun of, no doubt, hundreds of people standing there that day. And she was, she was actually picked out by the Lord Jesus and seemingly picked on. It didn't shake her at all. Praise God. Her need was so great and her faith was greater. Hallelujah. Humiliation, ostracization, nothing changed her away from the promise of God. Insomuch that the Son of God himself was so moved by her faith. I have not found such faith in Israel. Lord Jesus, let us be those type of people today. That when we do our very best, and it seems like, Father, that we pray and pray, and you turn your face from us. We ask for guidance, and you give us none. We ask for direction. All maps are closed to us, as it were. 
that we keep persistently praying and thanking you for your love. Help us, I pray, Father. Praise God. Let me just ask you today, with your heads bowed, how many of you would like to be this kind of a Christian in this last day? When turmoil is everywhere. Homes are in turmoil and churches and our nation and politics and all of that. But you would like to reflect the peace of heaven. Would you just raise your hand to God? Now this is your request to him, not to me. I can't grant it, of course. Do you think that we can be so influenced by heaven that in the middle of our trials, God can give us peace? I received another testimony again this morning of another one of the members here of our church that had been dealing with a very, very difficult situation. But through the ministering of the word on this about peace and prayer offered just a few days ago for the situation, Almighty God has come down by His great power and give peace to the heart of the individual. Praise God. This is what He wants us to have, friends. Can we just pray together? And I don't want you to just pray for yourself, but I want you to pray for those that are standing by you. You never know that individual, what they're going through behind you, in front of you, around you. Maybe they come today burdened so heavy, it was everything they could do to just sit in the pew. Maybe they felt like, I'll never come back again. This is my last time. So let's just pray for each other as well as our own needs. Lord Jesus, your word tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ Lord I've got needs today in my own life but I just have to lay them over on the side for a few moments I'd like to ask you for my brothers and sisters first Lord I pray today that you'd help them some of these Husbands and wives and children. Lord, trying to go through this life and live a godly Christian life. And they're facing things that no generation ever faced. Lord, with all the science and technology and modern conveniences that we have, and yet we know with every one of them that come off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they have the capability of being both good and evil. Our smartphone can be such an access to the internet and to definitions of words and stock prices and on and on and on and on and on we could use it for. Or we can also go to websites that no Christian should ever be on by the same device. Someone can call us and tell us our, our house is on fire. Someone could text us an urgent message. And at the same time, we could begin a relationship with someone else over that same phone. Lord Jesus, help us to realize the power of darkness in this age is greater than us. We cannot meet the challenges of this day without supernatural help from you, Lord. It's greater than us. And when we get to a spot that we're confident in our flesh, we're already on our way down. Help us to see, Lord, our flesh cannot be trusted. It is our enemy. 
It will work against us nearly every day of our lives. Father, may you come back today and speak peace into the hearts of your children. O Lamb of God, may we leave this service today, praise God, with a greater desire and determination to seek peace and ensue it. So if we have family issues, help us, Father, to seek a peaceful answer. Your word tells us a soft answer. Turn us away wrath. We know it takes at least two to argue. So when people jump on us and want to cause an argument, there'll only be an argument when we argue back. We can hold our peace and pray for them, or we can give in, or we can follow peace. Seeking peace is not always the easy way, but it's your way. Help us, I pray, blessed God. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many believes what you've asked for, you're going to get? You just raise your hands. I receive it. I receive it as part of my inheritance. Thank you, Lord. Lead us in something, Harry. Let's just sing a little bit before we go. Can we take a few minutes now before we go? You go eat your lunch and all that. Let's just worship him just a little bit. He's ministered to us by his mercy and his kindness. Now let us minister back to him. Singing psalms and songs and making melody in our hearts to the Lord as we worship him together. Now remember, you're not singing so the person standing beside you can think you're a good singer. But you're singing to the Lord Jesus and worshiping him. Praise God. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father. Coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray.
ask me how it is that I'm still standing, you wonder how I made it through this storm. I can't boast of any special power. It's no secret. I just held on Cause I held on Till the storm was over I don't claim to be a hero And I don't have all the answers But I held on Till the storm was over Finally happening I've got blessings I can call my own Many times I wondered if I would make it But while I was wondering I just kept holding on Cause I God blessings I can call my own. Many times I've wondered if I would ever make it. But while I was wandering, my soul just kept holding on. Cause I
little step into my theophany. One day I know that final step is going to set me free. together if you would father thank you lord for another great day that we could be in your presence trust lord that you'd go with us now as we go our separate ways watch over us keep us we ask you that heaven would reflect itself through our lives we look around and we see the influence of hell on the people of this earth but may they look back and see heaven is also still represented through your people Help us, Lord God, go with us now. Bring us back at the appointed time, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus. If anybody asks you where I'm going, where are you going to tell them? If you want to know where I'm going, where I'm going, no one day. Christian Ray. 